With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Pure Evil on May. I'm your host, as always, Evil Eddie. We got a really special show for you guys planned for today. We got, honestly, one of my really good friends within the MMA scene. But before we head into that with the interview with Alex Bonwick, we got some sponsors to throw at you really quick right now. And some sponsors I'm really proud to have. Not only do we have Manscaped, which is an affiliate with the UFC, but we also have one of my favorite companies, and they even, listen, I even bought one of their products uh, before I was sponsored by them. We got Hero Soap Company, and uh, listen, I, I know it's kind of weird to say right now, but me and my girlfriend, when I bought the product, we took a shower together. We showered together all the time, and I wanted to know, like, what, <laughs> yeah, I, I wanted to know, like, what her... You know what her taste was what her preference was if she loved it listen we open up the package Oscar where are you? get out of here all right so we open up the package right we're sitting in the shower all alone she goes "Ooh, I love the smell of this so my girlfriend her father's in law enforcement so not only does hero soap company uh, make soap for vets but it's made by veterans as well um, it's an all it's all natural without any harmful stuff found in many uh, mainline soaps such as parabens that have been linked to breast cancer and male reproductive complications which if you're taking a shower with your girlfriend you do not need to be lathering up with anything <laughs> you know what I mean that's gonna you know bother your reproductive complications uh, there's also no fragrances dyes or chemicals it's veteran owned so subscribe not subscribe but subscribe and save 20% never worry about running out of soap ever again with a monthly with a monthly shipment straight to your door and guys there's no contract guys always wait until they run out of soap to get more usually you'll have your girl run out my girlfriend is like are you almost done with that soap are you almost done with that soap because she's just dying to try the other kinds i believe i got um 
what was it called? Men's Wintergreen. And we also got a, like, woodsy smells. She absolutely loves it. And on the other hand, my father is very allergic to, like, you know, I like to go out. I like to wear Abercrombie. I like to wear, as silly as it sounds, Bod Cologne. Remember the, Alex, you remember those Bod Colognes from back in the day? Like, I want your Bod. Oh, yeah, dude. So, yo, his eyes will swell up like crazy with all that. His girlfriend will even oh. buy uh, hairsprays that say non, you know, no fragrance. She'll spend like $23 on it. Yo, this does not bother his eyes at all. And not only that, it's helping all the veterans out there for us to be able to do these podcasts. So, guys, you can save 20% with 20% of 100% of good scent. Uh, using promo code PUREVET. That's P-U-R-E-V-E-T. Also, guys, we're associated with Top Affiliate, which means you guys can bet on any fight. Not only that, they'll even give you a link for the pay-per-views if you want to watch the pay-per-views. Um, I'll have all the details down below, but let's jump right into today's podcast. I will be discussing Manscaped, which is a huge sponsor that we got as well for all the guys out there that are in the woods that don't like to shave their bottom parts. But listen, if you got a girl out there or you're single, no girl wants to unzip those pants or take a shower with you and see a bushnell of just, you know, your eighth grade puberty you know what i mean so listen we got manscaped on the rise as well linked in here with pure evil and but we got alex bondwick honestly one of my really close friends uh manager of the stars people that uh you know alex who who has been on this podcast that has been under your wing just to uh, get listeners familiar with who you are because uh, you've helped us a lot i know most recently we had uh ufc bellator ultimate fighter finalist and former king of pancreas uh nam fan come on the show yeah. give us k1 hell of a show um i'm fairly certain that we had melvin gallard yes. at some point come on did we not yes i think <laughs> Yeah, so we had Melvin at some point come on, um, and I know Mel gave a pretty good show as oh well. Oh my god, one uh, of my favorites. Um, pardon me? One of my favorite shows. Also, uh, you know, one of your close friends, Joe Riggs, came on as well. Yes, yes. And yeah, so Joe Joe and I worked together for about two years, and, uh, you know, it was, it was an incredible time. Um, you know, when he and I first linked up, it was right after the UFC had uh, cut him when he had the incident with uh, the misfire at the gun range oh where he God. injured his hand. Uh, so um, for people I'm, who don't know that, though, Alex, that was one of my favorite parts of the podcast. I, I mean, as, as unfortunate as it is, that's like the worst luck you could ever have. Getting signed back bro, to the UFC and then accidentally just, shooting yourself. Couldn't be worse. Couldn't be worse. And and I mean, you know what, for a guy like Joe, who was making his second run at that point in the UFC. Now, and now keep in mind, that was before he and I worked together, but he was at that point making his second run. He was getting on, and then boom, he has that injury happen, and it's like, oh my goodness. So when he and I actually linked up, Eddie, <clears throat> interestingly enough, he was... You know, he, I think he was a little bit ready to kind of just back it off a little bit and kind of go, you know what, like, you know, the UFC caught me and, you know, I've got this injury in my hand. I've had the surgery, so I'm better now, but I'll always have that in the back of my mind kind of thing. And one thing more or less led to another. And persistence is key in anything, as you know, just like with what you do in your show. Exactly. Persistence is huge. So, you know, with persistence, I just basically told him, Joe, I believe in you like you're. I really don't think that you are done and that, you know, what if we do, 
you know, I remember the exact quote was, let's think of it as chess and let's think a couple moves ahead. Hmm. And so what we did at that point, because part of why he was ready to step back and understandably so is competing at such a high level of competition, you know, world class, you're talking with an injury like that. It can be a little bit intimidating, right? I mean, for any of us, but um, I basically said to him, I'm like, Joe, if we do this correctly and we kind of, you know, eat our pride, which is which is what it was, because he was going to fight. What I was pitching was he was going to be fighting in front of a few thousand people instead of his, you know, 15 or 20 that he was used to. But I'm like, let's go back to the regionals. Let's get you a few wins. Let's earn you a few title belts. And let's see what happens kind of thing. And man, I shit you not. All you need to do is look at Joe Riggs' tapology. I couldn't be more proud of what Joe Riggs accomplished when he and I worked together. I mean, we went from, geez, like WXC in Michigan, which no knock on them whatsoever. Do I still got you there? Yeah, you still got me right here. Okay, okay. Sorry, I, I just talked so much. <laughs> no, no, it's good. It makes everything so much easier. But Yeah, but so no knock on WXC because, you know, when it comes to regional state promotions, they are they're the top tier, right? Yeah. But <clears throat> so if you look at it, it's like you know, starting back there fighting guys, and and they're almost all title fights, which I love. Like if you look at Joe Riggs's trophy room, you need sunglasses. <laughs> There's so much gold in there; it's ridiculous. But so if you look at his progression, he slowly makes his way to the point where at the end of where he and I ceased working together and, and it's really nothing that was, you know, bad blood or anything. I mean, you can hear me talking about him in, in adoration. So it's not bad blood. Yeah. It was just a simple case of things winding down. He was moving. He was uh, setting up a gym in, I want to say it was in, Geez, if I say it wrong, but I think it was Minnesota or Vermont or something like that. But he was doing a huge, drastic life change kind of thing. And I was totally supportive for it. But if you look at it, his last fight, aside from his run with BKFC, obviously, because, you know, one thing that actually bugs me, if I can sidestep for a second. Of course. And right now, uh, Alex, we're looking at his record on topology. Uh is it? It's just so. It's like green light, green, 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 green. I mean, other than that M one, which I was giving yes. you the M one title fight against Boris. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and the crazy thing about that fight, uh, if uh, any of the fans and listeners want to check it out, I'm sure it's on YouTube. But you'll see that Joe actually hurt himself. So in the fight, Joe shoots a double leg, and his knee essentially gives way. And at that point, the fight was more or less called off. And they, they gave it to the defending champion. Um, I believe, you know, he was a hometown boy, more or less. And Joe kind of protested and we protested and said, you know, this really should be a no contest. I mean, it, it was an injury. It was like it should be a to be continued more than a, OK, Joe loses now. But that's one of the things about dealing with Russia, and it's just it's a whole different oh. ball game over there. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we we did what we what we did, and we came back, and, and Joe had a, a very successful run with BKFC. And that now, was the cool main event. The listeners are night. kind of wondering, you know. I know I even as a as a guy who loves to see him fight kind of go you know why where is he gone kind of thing. Yeah. And now Joe in his last couple fights in BKFC, he. Now he's a warrior, and I'm not going to put. I don't. I don't mean to knock on Charles Felony Bennett or whatever he calls oh, himself. Oh God! <laughs> but two for two. Crazy horse. He's, he's broken his hands, right? Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. So 
Like, oh man. But so it same thing happened to Joe though, but Joe fought through it. Yes. Joe fought through it and he still got the decision win. Now, after that happened, he again uh, and you know what? I never asked him, but I should have. I bet you it was the hand that he had the uh the injury the to shot. previously. Right? Because it's pre existing. So there was a, some stuff went on there. Um, you know, I don't know what legally we're allowed to say because I think it's still ongoing between him and BKFC. But, you know, there, basically there was, there was just some stuff left on the table, right? And yeah. so he can't, he can't honorably fight until that stops off the table. And I hope that it does happen because one thing that, like, I love what David Feldman's done with the sport. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, all, oh, Alex, wow. all my boys, you know, like, they'll be like, I don't care about the next UFC event. I want to see BKFC oh, or Ken Shamrock's bare oh, knuckles. that's me. That's me 110%, man. Yeah. Like, I'm so much more. Was it you who shared the other day? Um, uh, it was like, I get more excited about when Bellator announces a super fight versus a UFC card. I think it might yeah, have been it was, it was, it was, uh... Yeah, okay, okay, dude. Like, I couldn't agree with that more. And I think that that says something about, you know, and I don't mean to knock this generation of fighters at all, because I know I'm going to have a lot of guys, young guys out there going, this guy, son of a bitch, he doesn't know what he's talking And I don't mean it like that at all. It's a simple case of... Um, oversaturation, right? And it's not any one of their faults, right? It's just there's so many incredible fighters out there now. You know, this this old era, this past golden era generation, you know, because a lot of people don't know, I actually fought. I fought from 2011 to 2013. Hell yeah. And so, yeah, I'm an old school guy. So, so you know, back then, even then, there was still an element of style versus style. Now, yes, we were all mixed martial artists at that point, but you could still look at a guy and literally before the bell rang, just the way that he got sort of ready, you could tell what his background was. You know what I mean? And that very seldomly exists anymore. And it's because everybody these days is so good, right? Everybody's a mixed martial artist these days. Everybody, you know, and I remember actually being in the gyms back then and my senseis and my coaches saying to me, the next crop of fighters will be the first cage fighters that are bred and trained to be cage fighters, which is where we're at now. So we see these fights that are just too, you know, if it was, again, I'll go back to the chess analogy, but if it was two chess players, it's two world-class chess guys that just can't get that checkmate. You know what I mean? Yep. And that doesn't mean they all go that way because we see the crazy knockouts here and there and the crazy submissions. But I feel like the overwhelming majority, the fights are going to decisions. And I feel like a lot of that just has to do with everybody's incredible skill level these days. And, and again, that's why I hope the young guys don't take it as a knock because really it's not. It's basically saying that like back when we fought, you know, there was a real mixture. You had guys... Well, you yeah, know, guys. Alex, I've talked so, to people like um, Dan Severn, and he'll be like, yeah. I believe it was Dan Severn who said this to me. He was like, you know, back in the day, we didn't even know who we were fighting until that day. We didn't have cell phones. Yeah. We had to use a pay phone to figure out who you're fighting. And to kind of backtrack <laughs> on what you were saying there, I mean, this week we saw Yoel Romero get, you know, uh, kicked out of the UFC. Yeah, uh, today we saw Rumble Johnson uh, sign with Bellator. And my point being, these are guys that have been fighting at 
the most elite level. You know, the UFC, yeah. you know, when I interviewed Justin Gaethje's and a lot of my listeners know exactly what I'm about to say here. In our interview, he said, not all the best fighters are in the UFC, but listen, inside the UFC, you are fighting. You know, if you're in the top 10, top five, you are constantly fighting the best yeah. of the best. Five, five minute rounds. For you to cut Yoel Romero and keep somebody like, you know, uh, I saw a comment, like Mike Perry, you're going to keep Mike Perry, but you're going to get rid of Yoel Romero. I mean, there's a lot of fans who are like, yeah, he deserved to go. Chris Weidman, Luke Rockle, these guys deserve to go. They don't take into consideration these guys are fighting at the most elite level that is so exactly. hard to maintain. You know what? And Eddie, I agree so much there, brother, because like, like, let's go back to the Zuffa era when the, the Fertitas owned it. Yes. And you saw, you know, we didn't see that as much that we see right now. And I don't, I'm not sure exactly what they did differently because Dana was still there. So like, I'm not sure what to say about it, but like, Justin is so hitting the nail on the head. Like when you are cutting a guy like Yoel Romero, when, you know what, back in the day, maybe maybe he would be cut because, again, I get it on paper, but Yoel's one of those guys you can't put on paper. You yeah. can't say, well, he's 44 and, you know, he's one in four in his last five. You can't do that because he still is fighting the very best, just like you said. And not only that, but he is a huge draw. Yeah. It's insane to me as a business decision because for me, you know, as a casual fan, he's one of those guys that I can actually name. Right. And that's not a knock, but he's but it's because he's had so many fights. Right. So he's in there. He's implanted in my brain. And now when they remove him, like I just I get confused because back in the day, I feel like, you know, Dana and the Fertitas would have sat down and said, listen, you know, he's still drawing. He still has incredible knockout power. Um, instead of cutting him, why don't we use him properly and give him like two or three really exciting, you know, slug him fights? Like, yeah. let's find. You know, who knows? But Look, like, the let's Paula Costa fight up. was amazing. So the thing that people say is like, how are you going to keep Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series? I want to know from you as a manager to keep uh, something like Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series where they're signing, you know, two to, f you know, four guys every Tuesday. But yet you're going to cut yeah. somebody like Yoel Romero. What would you do if you were in either Dana's position or Yoel's manager? What, like, how would you go about uh, holding that contract? Or is it a better thing? for you all to leave. Well, you know what? I always try to paint the, the silver lining sort of thing as a manager. In yeah, the you do. So I think if I was Yoel's manager, what I would be saying, or Yoel, sorry, I'm Canadian, eh? Hey. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> if I was his manager, what I would be saying right now is this is not a bad thing because thanks to Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr., Ooh. And Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz last year when they did the, or maybe it was two years ago when they did the uh, Golden Boy fights with the Oscar De La Hoya. Thanks to those four guys, it is undeniable that there is huge, huge interest in seeing these legends still fight. Okay. Now, that doesn't mean we want to see some, you know, 23-year-old ace of spades come in and chew up our heroes. But we want to see them fight someone else who's a hero to us from that era. And, you know, I just think that if I was Yoel's manager, what I would be saying is, listen, man, this is a blessing in disguise because now we can get in touch with Tyson's legacy boxing um, and we can say, hey, guys, guess what? I'm free to come and knock somebody out on your undercard. Well, because... You 
you know what I mean? Like that right there, I think like he would make a tidy, tidy purse. Like he would probably stand to make more money if he were to be able to make a transition like that. And I hear BKFC is sniffing around. Um, I know they got some substantial weight. I mean, they paid Paul and Malinaji like a million dollars or some shit like that. Right? <laughs> to fight Artem. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, to fight to, to fight the goat. <laughs> the goat, yes. The goat. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, man. I you know what? I love it. And uh I still at the same time, you know, I love it just because it opens prospects for, for you all now. I've read already that PFL and Bellator have looked the other way on him, which is a little confusing wow. to me, but again, it is it's it's probably a case of I bet you he's, it, again, this is just like a uh, sort of like a guess. But if I was guessing, the reason why those two promotions maybe look the other way is he's maybe looking for an extended deal. Do you know what I mean? Like maybe he wants. Explain to our fight. listeners what that what that means uh, in case they're new to uh, mixed martial arts. Yeah, totally, totally. So what I mean by an extended deal is a guy that's 44 years old. Understand here and now as a mm. business uh, decision when you put somebody on a card that is over 40 years old in most states not all but most states the promotion actually has to pay a surplus to the insurance company because it's I guess uh, uh, added risk I guess it's more expensive to the insurance company so and, and and that was really surprising to me I learned that in the last few years but um, yeah so that was kind of an eye-opening thing so when I see that he's 44 years old. If I was Scott Coker or if yeah. I was uh, Ray Sifo, I think he's the one that's PFO? Yeah, yep. anyways, Ray Sifo. Was... I've interviewed him before, oh, okay. another legend. Dude, he's so cool. Yeah, he is. <laughs> but if I was either one of those guys and Romero's manager came to me and said, okay, we want a three or... Jeez, that's you know, let's say a three or a five fight deal, you know, because they want security. It's job security to these guys. It's no different than you or I. You know, it's no fun finding out, okay, I'm good for the next four days for work, but then what am I gonna do? Exactly. Same yeah. thing for a fighter, right? So they're sitting there going, You still got gas on the tank, you still look incredible, you know, now that you've dropped out of fighting the top eight guys every single time. You know, there's no reason we can't. He's not going to be a promotions champion, as far as I'm concerned. I think he likely will be in whatever, wherever he ends up. Yeah. But again, it's a case of doing it right, and it's a case of utilizing the time properly. Because at 44 years old, as a business decision, if the camp comes to me and says we would like a five fight contract, if you do the math on that and you say, okay, let's say we can have you fight best case scenario once every four or five months. And so now we're talking a two and a quarter, two and a half year. You're almost 47 years old at the end of our contract now. Yeah. Right? Even though and he doesn't so, look it. Even though he doesn't look it. He's like that. Uh, yeah, exactly. I don't know if you ever seen the movie The Benchwarmers. But uh, it, it, in yes, The Benchwarmers, there's a guy. I, I know that dates me, but I have it on DVD. <laughs> yes. So there's like a scene in that movie where one of the opposing teams, I think it's that movie, brings in like this 55-year-old Cuban guy who claims he has got a birth certificate that says he's like 14, 15 yeah. years old. He's out there like drinking beer and striking kids I out. I remember. That's your out. <laughs> You know, yeah. right? yeah. he like he like smokes and drinks in the middle of the yeah. field. He gets all hammered. Yeah, that's your own. Right there. Oh, that's such he a got good the birth certificate, right? Uh, <laughs> you know what? And, and and so so honestly, again, like 
as much as it pains me as a fan, as a business, in, like a person who has a little inside knowledge to it, I do understand that aspect. Now, that's where the ball shifts back to his manager and agent, and they need to think clearly, which is, you know, okay, 44 years old, huge name right now, huge draw right now. If we had, let's say, a two-fight deal with a promotion where our first fight is against one of your top 10 guys, if we win that fight, UL goes on to fight a contender fight. If he wins that fight, then we go from there and sign a new contract kind of thing. Now, why that would be smart for Romero to do is because now the pressure is off the promoters. They're going, okay, well... You know, that's a commitment of, let's say, eight to ten months. We can we can shoulder that. We, we're pretty sure you'll still be in good shape for that amount of time. And why it's also smart for Romero is because then... Now, he's already got, obviously, buying power when he's asking. Like, he's, he can ask for a pretty substantial purse, right? But if he did that two-fight contract and he came back and now he's the number one contender and now he doesn't have a contract and gets to renegotiate... Now he's talking championship dollars for his contract. Well, let's compare so, him to you know I mean? let's compare somebody like Yoel to Rumble, who just signed to to Bellator today. I believe what right. it was like a, a year, you know, two years that Rumble left the UFC, and he left in a very weird way. There is a conspiracy that I will be talking about in my next podcast, where I'll be covering uh, MMA conspiracies about how Rumble retired, how he lost in that championship fight to DC, if I right. remember correctly, and his corner actually walked off. That That's a conspiracy we can talk about. But he that's took crazy. about two years away. If you remember, he'd start doing bodybuilding, lifting, yep. and uh, started getting into, I believe, CBD or marijuana, and now he signed with Bellator. I don't think, and obviously it's, you know, uh, you, you don't even have to think. If you're your old Romero and you're at that age, you can't do something like that. I, You know, what does it no. do to a fighter at that age to well, leave the UFC? You know you're what? never coming back. Will you ever make the same amount of money? Well, you know what? The, the interesting thing about a lot of the guys that I have worked with is um, they are guys that are in the twilights of their career. So, you know, a lot of the times what happens to fighters when they hit about 34 or 35 years old, and these are even the world-class guys, yeah. some of their, you know, physical abilities start to decline ever so subtly. And because of that, and because of the fact that maybe they go on a couple of fight-losing streak, they get left behind by the big management firms. Now, when that happens, that is when I come into the picture because a lot of the times, understandably so, because any one of us would feel the same way, when rejected that way and when the people that are supposed to protect you and have their best interests at heart, whom you've worked with for a number of years and paid X number of dollars to and so on and so forth, kind of turn their back on you and like, like I won't I'll use a quote but I won't say the fighter's name. Okay. I remember I remember when I linked up with a, a UFC veteran and he at the time uh, I actually got I just got signed on as his uh, agent really it wasn't it wasn't manager yet but I had been working like getting his sponsorship and like seminars and you know like booking appearances just stuff like that sort of the side stuff. And what ad, what ended up coming about is after about a year of that, I had the fighter come to me 
and say, you know what, listen, I got one fight left on this contract that they have negotiated for me. After it's done, I don't want to work with them anymore. I want to work with you. Um, you know, three or four years ago, I could text or call these guys and I would get an answer right away. But now it's three days, it's four days, it's five days, it's no answer at all because they're not looked at as priorities anymore, which is something that I think like almost followed over from boxing or something, right? Yeah. But but for me, as a person who was a fighter before I became an agent and a manager, like I, the slogan for my company is fighting for the fighters, right? Because oh. I got burned. I got left behind. I got, you know, I had promoters no pay me. I had all these crazy experiences happen to me back during my run that wisened me up to the, to the game, right? And so basically uh, going back to the story there, um, they, they sort of handed in their resignation with that big company. And then we worked together for about four years or so. Um, until until actually it got to a point where the fighter and I, I said that I felt that that fighter should consider retirement. Ooh, that has to yes. be so hard for somebody to say I, to it's anybody. It's hard. It's it's hard, and I did it. I did it tactfully, Eddie. Like I had, like it was a three way thing. It was a not a. It was a really bad loss. Like he got really hurt. And like we had had a run of bad luck for a while and I presented it to him as like, um, I have this other gig, which is essentially, I had found him a coaching job full time. Right. Oh, wow. Yeah. And yeah, like, this is, well, you never leave them behind. Right. Like we're, especially when you work with a person for that long, like even to this day, like, I mean, you know, Gallard and I, we don't officially really work together anymore. I mean, geez, wh what a world we're in in 2020. Who works for who? You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so, there's so little going on. But, you know, when, when these guys still have fights coming up and I see it, uh, first thing I do is I message them and wish them well and, you know, glad to see your got one coming and so on and so forth. Because, you know, there's just there's too much negativity in the world as it stands. Right. We all we all had to quote Bill S. Preston, Esquire and Ted Theodore Logan. <laughs> Be excellent to each other, right? And Sandy so Mist. Sandy Mist. Yeah. That's what it, yeah. <laughs> so that's what it comes down to. But like, you know, so back to the retirement talk, which was the one and only time I've had this. But Eddie, to my defense, why I felt I had to do this was because he had got really hurt, brother. And he had been hurt a couple times. And it was... You know, it was one thing to be losing by submission. It was one thing to be losing decisions. It was another thing when you start getting put cold out, right? Because that's when lifelong problems can happen. And so, you know, we had the chat. It was very respectful. I said, you know, here's this other side gig. Here's the coaching job. Um, what are your thoughts? And the thoughts were <laughs> not of the same mind. Of course. And I, and I, and I tried and I understood I did. I understood. But at the same time, you're looking out. Yeah, man. Like I, the, the guy who gave me my start in this industry, um, well, there was really, there was a couple guys who did, but the first guy who really face to face brought me on was like, yeah, kid, I'll give you a chance was UFC legend, Gary Goodridge. Oh, wow. And, yeah, yeah, and and so when I linked up with Gary, perfect example too. That's exactly it, right? When yeah. I linked up with Gary, I saw, you know, fast forward five years, and I saw this beginning to happen to my fighter. And I'm Alex, like, I, I've I, interviewed I him. 
I've interviewed him. It was one of the uh, interviews that will stand out to me forever. Uh, he shared a very personal story where he almost cried in the middle of our interview. I was uh, sitting in as a co-host for Kate Side Submissions. This is about five years ago now, uh, going back. Right. And he was saying, you know, one day I was on a plane traveling. I had a grand mal seizure where, uh, you know, I peed and, and you know, uh, shit myself. And it was so embarrassing. And he broke down crying. Uh, and it was one of the saddest oh, things. Man. And you don't want to see oh, that happen to a legend like like Gary. Yeah, he's an you absolute I mean? pioneer, absolute legend. And you know what? You know what? He did it all for his family, guys. He did it all for his family. He did it all for us as fans. And but he let me tell dedicated you something, his life. Personally, he did it for his two girls. To battling depression for, for people out there that are going through stuff like that, that face depression every day. And Alex, I've had long talks with you, man, about the depression I've gone through just this year year you know and and then you right. look at somebody like gary goodrich and and then i reflect on myself like i don't have it as hard as somebody like that and for somebody yeah. like gary who's reached out to me multiple times you know it's it, it means so much man when uh somebody can reach out that doesn't make you feel alone and and, and for you as a manager to see somebody like that to prevent somebody to have to go through something like that i don't think our right. listeners out there and i i hope they do and i, I know a lot of them really do understand but it's serious man it's not just somebody you're watching on the tv these are people who have family loved ones and people yeah. that are actually going out there and fighting to show others yeah. you are not alone and for you to sit there and, and try to say that i know how hard that is for you to tell somebody that not only is somebody on contact with you that has become your friend, uh, your mentor, somebody that you can even say gave you your shot. It gets real, oh, man. It's not just about fighting. It's real. Yeah, it's it's very real. And I mean, Gary's, I've seen him do some pretty incredible stuff in the time that we work together. I mean, from working um, up here in Canada, we have Bell Media. It's kind of like one of the big uh, internet phone providers and um you know he he does bell let's talk which is uh, a hashtag um that is used on social media that is basically um not just for men but for anybody who just feels alone and so you you do this let's talk and that's sort of the movement that reminds us that you know in our times of darkness that we aren't alone you know what i mean and um yeah i mean to, to gary again i'll never ever be able to thank him enough because it's such a beautiful story because when i fought so gary lives an hour away from me this is why oh, wow. i was very fortunate just i got lucky that way right so um but why where, where i really thank him is when i fought i now he wasn't my head coach by any means but i trained with gary a little bit and so that was back, you know, 2010, 2011, 2012. I didn't start my business till 2015. So when <clears throat> when I made it official and I was able to come back and, you know, I have this official company and, you know, I'm building this client list. And, you know, here's Drew McFedries from the UFC, who was an absolute human highlight reel at the time for killing people with knockouts. Um, to anybody, to any of the newer generation listeners, check out Drew McFedry highlight reel. Drew was the original Robbie Lawler. Oh, Drew man. was actually Robbie Lawler's teammate. So a bigger version of him, though. Hell yeah. Um, yeah, and he was one of my originals. And uh, another guy who uh, believed in me was was James McSweeney, and he helped oh, me get my, whoa, my whoa, whoa, with a couple of people I never as well. knew that. 
Yeah, well, and he may not even remember it, but it was so important to me that I'll never forget it. And he just basically, when I was contacting some of these different fighters offering my services and rates and so forth, James basically said, you know, he's a good guy. And so that, like, most of them probably never would have got back to me without that referral. You know what I mean? I'm a realist. And that would be like going again back to like 2014 <laughs> like kind of thing. Oh my so, God. Yeah, man. It's a, such a small world in the fight community. But, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Blew my so mind I right there. Gary. And then, of course, fast forward and I start this company. So the first thing I did, because as far as I'm concerned, where there's a will, there's a way. And these guys have created legacies that there's no reason. Yes, they can't fight anymore, but there's no reason they can't cash into the the name they built for themselves, right? Of course. So for me, it became, you know, the first thing I wanted to do was reach out to Gary because I knew he didn't have help at that point. I knew managers had, you know, had him basically smashed into pieces you know i mean they had him fighting a killer like paul buentello when gary was like i don't know 41 years old and paul was at his peak at that point a lot of guys don't know paul buentello was but he used to be a a top five contender in the ufc he may have even fought for the title against tim sylvia at one point but um yeah like they they just kind of left gary high and dry man and so the first thing that i did was reach out to him and just say hey listen you know if i'm still a fan of you you still got fans. Do you think so, the UFC has, um, like, it, it should be their priority for the legends that they've built up, the legends that they've made money off of? You know, you brought up Tim Sylvia uh, recently, and this, you know, I, when I when I set up interviews, I'm going off just conversation, and this is perfect. You just brought up Tim Sylvia, who's going back yep. to the UFC and being like, "Listen, I have this injury on my arm from when I broke my arm," and if you guys remember that fight. He didn't even react to it. You know, like he he pretended like it didn't happen. And I believe that his was the Frank uh, Mir fight. Yeah, I believe his manager yeah. at the time was um, what the hell is his name? Oh shit, I can I can remember off the top of my mind. But uh, you know he right now years later, you know he's looking for uh, the UFC to cover him doing. Uh, surgeries and stuff like that. How do you feel about that? Do you feel like it's the UFC's duty to, you know, not only uh, cover for that payment because he did get it during his fights in the UFC, or do you feel like, you know, after the UFC, uh, best of luck to you? How, how does that make you feel? Uh, well, <clears throat> I, I would like to see for both, uh, well, not both, I should say all, for all professional combat sports. So let's talk boxing professional kickboxing pro muay thai mma all of these guys and girls that fight i would like to see a combat sports player uh pardon me fighter association exist that protects these guys that they pay into that's almost kind of a little bit like a union to a certain degree because that's what exists in the nhl that's what exists in the nba they have associations that after you're done or if you're injured or whatever you're taken care of yeah. Right. And that should be the case because there was a time that the UFC was kind of trying to do that. They had given Chuck Liddell an the executive forest. job and Matt Hughes an executive job. But listen here, Eddie, they fired them like two years ago, yes, three years exactly. ago, whatever it was. So they obviously, you know, as sad as it is to say. And, and those are some of the I biggest hope, names. I hope, I hope in Mick the UFC. And, and Sean don't blacklist me for this. Those are the matchmakers. But, you know, it, it seemed as though Dana kind of isn't interested in helping the the past generations of fighters out and 
And that's sad because, you know, Tim Sylvia is a former two, if not three-time UFC heavyweight champion. I mean, he kept that heavyweight. Him and Frank Mir kept the heavyweight division going after they lost the guys like Tank Abbott and Mark Kerr and all those guys got too old. Gary got, you know, everybody left and went over to Pride and shit. And so, like, they kept that going. And it just, it really does eke me, if I'm being honest a little bit, that it's just like, you know, why isn't more being done? Like, why why when these fighters hit, you know, 35 or 40 or, you know, whatever the magic exactly. number is, or 45 or 50, why is it that they just cease to be human beings? Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. And, like, the, the problem is, is that a lot of them, like, especially down your side of the, the border, Gary's very fortunate that he's Canadian. So his health care is covered, right? Yeah. And so I understand that it's a little bit of a different ball game, but... I have seen an alarming number of guys that I call friends that I've known in the industry for a long time. And again, out of respect, I don't, you know, I don't say names, but I've seen an alarming number, Eddie, of of guys, fighters going on that fought in that era and fought in the same area that I fought in. And they're complaining about headaches and depression. And I'm like, every single time I see it, the first thing I do is I contact them and I say, get in touch with Gary. Because Gary is just five steps ahead of where I feel you could be going, potentially. It's not like a, I'm not a doctor, right? But when I see someone list three or four of the symptoms and someone that I've worked with, I'm just like, you know what, just in case, maybe you should chat because maybe you need to explore this a little bit farther. CTE. Uh, we've, We've learned so much about just CTE. You know, I get really upset when I see comments on Brandon Schaub or Tito Ortiz. I mean, I will like, I will laugh at some of the, some of the things, little clips, because I know that the, you know, the fight, everyone's kind of aware of it, but it's very serious when uh, you're bullying somebody that you've also praised in the past. Like Brandon Schaub, we loved him on the Ultimate Fighter with James and Kimbo. Tito Ortiz, man, that's a legend that we've sat there and we've rooted for. And now we look at uh, all the repercussions that uh, the entertainment industry has caused them. And we're going to sit there now and we're going to laugh and, uh, you know, really humiliate and make them feel like they have no part because of the injuries that have you know they, that has been caused over the years, and then you look at you know the UFC not backing them up. Uh, it, it's it's awful, man. It's it's very sad it to see. It, it it hurts me, man. It really does hurt me. I mean, one that you mentioned Tito. The other one that really really gets me is like people are so freaking hard on Chuck Liddell these days. It's like we all get it. He has a, like a bit of a speech slur now. Leave the guy alone. You know what I mean? Like why has it got to be? Like, why has he got to be turned into a meme? And why has it got to be a gif? And why has it got to be brought up every time he does an interview? Like, you think he doesn't know it? Like, I myself am a competitive bodybuilder. And, like, with that, there's always hate that comes on social media. But when someone points out a flaw to me, I'm always, like, in the back of my mind, I'm like, you think that if you're able to see a flaw in my body that I'm not able to see a flaw in my body? Like... You don't think I know that, that, you know what I mean? Like, why do you feel the need to point that out? But it's sad to say, it's the world, it's the world we're living in these days. It's, but you know what? It's not a hundred percent the case. There are still dudes out there like you and like me and, you know, like Jake, our, our good buddy out in California right now, who's battling his, uh, his pancreas ailment, like people with good hearts, man. Like, uh, for, for any of the listeners who may remember, uh, some time ago, actually, it probably would be like, what would you say, Eddie? six seven months ago when he was on 
But Jake, yeah, something like that. So Jake, uh, the the vocalist. I, I, Alex, I think it was even longer ago. I think it was maybe about uh, fourteen months ago. I could be completely oh, geez, wrong. Yeah, but... probably, man. COVID messed my internal, like, yeah. my, <laughs> my schedule up in my brain. But you're absolutely right. It probably would be one of my favorite but, interviews, though. Well, and he's he's such an incredible guy. Like this uh, talented musician. He's a frontman for Defiler, Divination, uh, Painless. I mean, it just goes on and on. And and he's battling a, a really really serious ailment. And actually, what I'm going to do, guys, is I'm going to send uh, uh, an inf- a little info blog thing that has some uh, information about it and just information to sort of a GoFundMe to help him with his medication and stuff because he's a really young cat, huge fight fan in fact Rudo Tovar a client of mine he's a former WBC uh, lightweight champion currently fights with Lion Fights and uh, PKFC big Muay Thai promotion yeah bit huge Uh, in fact you know uh, Rudo's the guy that fought uh, Kisera back in August of 2019 Kisera is now their champion so it was a number one it was a title uh, eliminator and we lost uh, I want to say it was split decision to him but um, but anyway, so for that fight though, we used "Walk in the Glow," which is one of Jake's songs, and it just wow. was an incredibly well received uh, fight song for any fighters out there looking for a heavy metal song to come out to. Just type in "Defiler." I, I dare you. See what happens. I guarantee you're going to use it. <laughs> what, what is it? "Walk in the Glow." Yeah, it's called Walk in the Glow, man. It's it's you know such do? a phenomenal entrance. We used it in Vegas. It was the place to use it. Hold on one second. Oh, didn't mean for that to happen. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to repost our interview with Jake. And uh, if oh, you, if, you if, should, if, yeah, man, because that'll help bring awareness. Just you know, that was obviously when he still had the energy to do it. I mean, Jake and, and I talk, still and he brought up his father. Uh, he lost his father to cancer, and he spoke about, you know, he was in jail. One of my favorite parts of the interview. Yeah. He was in jail yeah. when he found out that he got signed by Jamie Josta. Jamie Josta grew up a block from me. Not only here in New Haven, but his parents had a house on Neck Road, you know, in Madison, Connecticut. Like, right down the road <laughs> from my best friends that, uh, you know, it, it, it's such a small world. Jamie Josta, a legend yeah. of mine. Uh, that is small. And actually, you know what, to, to Jake losses um yeah he did lose his father and then actually very recently he lost his best friend uh, or one of his best friends and uh the drummer from divination he actually uh craig uh his last name's slipping my mind that's terrible of me but uh craig just passed away maybe a month ago or so so on top of jake's failing pancreas in his mid-20s he's dealing with all that it's it's like it's such a heavy situation. Here's so. what bothers me, Alex, though. We can listen to this. I can listen to you say this. Our listeners can, you know, hear, and they can feel pity in their heart. But do do a lot of us realize that this could happen to anybody? This isn't just a podcast. When you see things on reality shows like Intervention, you, you sit there and you think, oh, this can't happen to me. It happens to a soul. Absolutely. It can happen to anybody. It's And, and no one's above it, whether, whether I mean... Whether you're a fighter that's fought in front of 50 plus thousand fans live, whether you're someone who has toured literally across the world and has videos that have, I shit you guys not, nearly 4 million views individually, you know, which is where Defiler's at. They're a very big metal band uh, to people that aren't, aren't aware. 
no one is is untouchable and i think if we could you know really get a message across with this uh with this podcast i think eddie and i would agree that uh you know kind of be good to each other and just don't 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 plan ahead necessarily just enjoy the day like that doesn't mean disregard the future but how do you start your day out like you know, me and you have had some very, very in-depth talk, like closer talks than I've had with you than I've had with a lot of my close friends at this point in my life. Because, you know, I, I open up to you a lot. You open up to me a lot. Uh, the yeah. interviews I've had have opened up a lot of conversations that we wouldn't hear in other podcasts where I can get people to open up. Like, this is pure LMA. I want people to be pure. What do you do when you wake up in the morning for your mental health to start your day? Because a lot of us wake up when we're caught in the ground of things and we do look forward to you know mma fights coming up but what keeps you sane you know you have a lot of responsibilities you have a family you have a job uh you have a lot of fighters uh on your back that are looking to make money that you know it's a huge responsibility what do you do personally to keep your mental sanity in the morning how do you start your day or how do you keep your sanity how do you go about it what's the best way you do that some of my listeners can uh and even myself uh, take into account to make our days a little bit better, some practices. For me, guys and girls, I would say it all comes down to small, achievable goals that lead to a grander goal. So the grander goal is the overall thing. So that's I, this is kind of like a two-part question, so I'll give you a two-part answer. Of I would say that, again, the, the goal setting is absolutely imperative because complacency is next to death. Now, that's a saying from bodybuilding, but I, very, I hold it close to my heart. And that doesn't mean that being content and loving yourself is a bad thing. That's what we all want to achieve in our lives. Obviously, that's like that's like like winning the gold medal at life, right there. <laughs> yeah. But for those of us still striving for it, you know what I mean, kind of thing. That I think it's a true statement. Um, and then, so where the small goals come into play with that grand goal is that sometimes these grand goals that we set for ourselves, it could be a, a ninety-day thing, it could be a five-year plan, it could be a two-year plan. We really don't know what that goal is and the time that's going to take into it. So that can affect our mentality in a big way where like, let's say it's something where it's going to take four months and 60 days in, you're like, geez, I really don't feel like I'm accomplishing anything. And you know, the goal is still so far away. That's where those small goals come into play. So for me, when I left mixed martial arts, I really had a hard time with myself as I suspect all fighters do when they leave it behind. Cause I, I, I had a fight where medically I just wasn't able to continue anymore. Afterwards wow. I had an 11 day brain bleed. Wow. And so, yeah. So they, they revoked my license and wow. said no more kind of <laughs> no more sanctioned fighting at least. So I was like, okay, you know, this is what I've spent the last four or five years of my life. And then five years previous without even knowing it. Cause I was a collegiate wrestler. Well, I don't mean to side sidetrack, but that's another thing, you know, fans and people out there need to take in consideration when you're making fun of these people they've risked the relationships they've they've risked you know making a secure job and you end up yeah, you know, I can't yeah. even go into it that, that that would be like we would have to pull out the, the listeners would nod off there's so many sacrifices and stuff that have been made so many. but it's all for the greater good and I don't re- I don't regret I do I try not to regret anything because 
you know, you, the the goal for me is to make it to the finish line with a, as few regrets as physically possible. Paying um, forward, yeah. Right. So, so if I could give it some advice to the listeners, it would just be that set your big goal, but then set smaller goals. So, like when I left mixed martial arts and I found myself lost, literally lost. I'm like, what? Like, am I just? Uh, do I work in a factory now? Do I go back to school at 25? Do I like? What do I do? What like, do I do? you know, I was just getting going and things were just getting good and now here I am yeah. <laughs> reassessing the situation very very hard yeah. um, at that time my son was three so it was like you know what the hell am I going to do and um, so I just you know checked myself and did the work thing and hustled and grinded and kept my my nose down if you will for, for a couple of years but I kept in the gym and I kept training not as much in mixed martial arts that got less and less and less as time progressed away um I was actually kind of almost doing strictly boxing eventually um but you always kept active right pardon me like have you ever been through a situation I know you have where you can't even get yourself motivated to go to a boxing class like you're just saying like you were reevaluating your life recently all my listeners know that I've, I've been having a really hard time battling depression. This is what I love. Doing this podcast, having these yeah. real conversations. This is why it's pure evil MMA. These are real talks. You know what I mean? This is not just about MMA. Yeah. This is about therapy. This is about uh, the full circle of it. Not just the entertainment aspect, but the full circle Absolutely. of it. Well, you know, there's a lot of fighters yeah. like Yoel when he got kicked off. You have this one turning you down, this one turning you down. And it's got to be like, what did I do with my life? How do you, how do you, yeah. have you ever been in a position where like you can't even get motivated? to go to a boxing class and how did you find yourself to regain that motivation well i uh you know what i think i would have to be a bold-faced liar to say i haven't had a roller coasters or have you know there's been chunks of time you know be it a couple weeks be it a month whatever where things just go not great right and it just seems to build and build and build but i think one thing that's always kind of glued in the back of my mind is you know just like nothing gold can last nothing great can last so at the same time it's like while it's bad you know it's going to get better yeah right like there's always a balance to life and you got to kind of try to believe that a little bit um for me when i run into and you know what i'm actually dealing with this very situation right now because um just like here in Canada, we have uh, lockdowns going on and different things like that. So I had been preparing for a bodybuilding show. I compete with the IDFA, which is the International Drug Free Association of Bodybuilders. Yeah. And um, that's actually, I was actually leading to that. That was, it was really my saving grace, Eddie, when I, uh, when I left mixed martial arts and I really didn't know what to do with myself. Um, I found a sport, if you could call it that, um, a, a subjective sport is what we'll call it. But I found something to keep me motivated that I still enjoyed. And, you know, I was still able to do a lot of the things and a lot of the, the lifts and the training and the conditioning that I had done in mixed martial arts for years and years and years. But now I was able to repurpose it. And I started shifting my attention to building my body up a little bit because I fought at 155 so I was just a skinny little bastard <laughs> I fought, yeah I walked around at like one, 165 168 170 was the biggest I ever was before I had to do a cut but I started to build my body up and I was like you know what for the first time I can kind of just eat off the chain and I can just lift and I can like you know I don't have to have the anxiety in my mind of 
okay, now I have to cut weight and I have to watch this and I have to do that. It's like, I can just, I can just live and just kind of, you know, make some money working a normal job and just build my body up. And over the period of like four years or so, maybe closer to five, I went from that 168, 170 up to about 205 pounds. Oh, wow. Um, and I maintained the same level of leanness because as a, as a lightweight, I was pretty lean, obviously. Yeah. I'm five foot ten in a bit, so I wasn't a short lightweight by any means. Um, but I had maintained that level of leanness that I had as a fighter, but now I was 50 pounds or, you know, 40, 45 pounds bigger over the course of that five years. And so uh, in 2018, when I turned 30, I had a big, oh, geez, I'm getting old moment. Yeah. And decided <laughs> to be older when we turn 30, you know? Well, you know what? It is just like, it was a weird little thing, you know? I mean, yeah. you leave your 20s behind. It's like, oh, wow, this is so it's weird. It's like, Can know? I go on a date with a chick who's in her 20s now? Like, you just, I'm sir in the line, you know what I mean? <laughs> well, here's the thing, Alex, when you get to that point where you're like, oh, shit, I'm 30 now. It's like when, when we're like six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old, we're like, when we picture 30 years old, we're like, I want to be a parent. I want to have a house. I want to have a secure yep. job. And we reflect on that. That's Times it. are different. Now. That's it, man. Exactly. Yeah, so for, so for me, it was like I, I had a big case of that because I was like, you know, here I am. I'm, I'm renting and like uh, I – did have a girlfriend at the time. I did. She was. Uh, I've been. I had been with her for seven or eight months. But uh, again, it was just like one of those things. And so I'm like, you know what? The hell with it. I'm gonna throw my name in the hat for a uh, for a bodybuilding show. My first show was actually physique. So there's a difference there. Physique um, for listeners is uh, the dudes that you see go up and they wear the board shorts and they're kind of. Yeah. They're a much more downsized version of bodybuilders. Like it's much more attainable. And so I did that for my first show and I really enjoyed the experience actually. Like it was funny though, because I, I can say doing my first show and that was really my first event that I had been to since I was a fighter. I still had this funny mindset of a mixed martial artist. So there I am in the back like of the Mr. Universe, the natural Mr. Universe contest. And I have like, tons of people around me getting spray tans going on and like they're pumping up doing push-ups and stuff like that and like what do i do i walk into the corner and this was my routine when i was a fighter i used to pick my corner of the room go over to the corner i'd throw my gym bag into the corner i'd basically claim my spot right and then i'd throw my headphones on i'd face the fucking wall because the mental game in fighting is so crazy that like let's say hour before you actually fight especially like one or two fights before yours your mind just starts doing really weird things to you so like i would face the wall and to any fighters that have problems with anxiety out there this is something for you to try if you haven't tried this yet when you feel that anxiety coming on deep breaths obviously help but face the wall as soon as you go into that locker room no other fighter matters in there it doesn't matter if you're in the blue locker room and the main event fighter uh is in there the number one contender yada 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 shake his hand shake her hand after the event up until you fight you are completely focused and so you know i I would face the wall. I'd throw my headphones in. I'd do my shadow boxing. When it came time for me to hit the mitts, I'd turn around, hit the mitts, and then I'd turn back and I'd face the wall and keep going. You know, you just, 
it kept things clear for me. And so I did the same thing at this Natural Mr. Universe. These physique and bodybuilder people probably thought I was fucking off my meds. Like they, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, because they're probably like, you know, I can see it. They're all talking and like sharing their how their prep went, and, stuff. and that's like a that's kind of a no no in my world, right? So yeah, it's just like <laughs> I was so stuck in fight mode. <laughs> yeah, I can see end, it. <laughs> but by the end of it. Like, I had been so made aware that this is not the same game. So when I was side stage and I placed, I never I never thought I was going to get high enough to get a singles. So I didn't actually make a singles routine. What's that's, that mean? So that's where you get to go by yourself and not with everybody else. Oh, okay, right? okay. But I had actually done well enough to, to get that. So surprise to me, they're like, we're going to do this alphabetically. Well, my name is Alex Bonwick, A.B., so I'm like, oh shit, I'm not going to get to watch even anybody go before I hit stage. I'm like, I don't know really what I'm goes. supposed to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm literally like, I don't know where I'm supposed to stand or where I'm supposed to walk or where I'm supposed to look. I'm like, I have no idea. So I hear my uh, fellow competitors that I was uh, competing against kind of muttering between each other about, well, they're going to hit this here and they're, they're doing their T-walk this way. And I like turn and I'm like, whoa, 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 what the hell is a T-walk? <laughs> yeah. and, and the guy like does exactly that. He laughs at me. He's like, dude, you know what a T-walk is. I'm like, you're going to have to enlighten me. <laughs> That's great. And so he was nice enough to do it. Uh, and fortunately for me, he did. And then I go out there and I'm like, Oh shit, I don't have a routine planned in my mind. I'm in front of like a thousand people at the universe and I'm like on stage. I'm like, okay, this is great. Oh, and I before I before I got to pose, I forgot they false started me twice. What does that mean? So they So <clears throat> I'm standing side stage and as they announce your name and your number, um you're supposed to kind of hit the stage and you know hit your hit your like little pose thing yeah and so they start announcing my name and they say alex and so i start walking out and uh the promoter sean campbell is his name real great guy um he turns to me and he goes whoa 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 whoa, whoa. alex get back get back get back i'm like oh shit so I'm halfway out on the stage. So the fans can see me. I feel your anxiety the MC, here. Yeah. yeah, the MC's <laughs> awkwardly staring at me like I'm just like, I felt like I was in like a, a Looney Tunes so out of place, or something like that. Right? And, yeah. and pardon me, like you're so out of place like you're like shit. Oh yeah, dude, <laughs> like red sore thumb. And so I'm like, I'm like just automatically and I don't know why I did this but I'm like okay let's turn a, a bad into a good Hell and yeah. I just like put my finger up in the air saying like one second and then I turn around and walk back to the side stage <laughs> so that got everybody laughing in the audience right Hell yeah. and yeah so they, so they start saying my name and uh, the promoter says to me he's like okay when they finish your name that's when you go out I'm like okay I got it now <laughs> and so I waited for them to finish my last name and I go out and I think this was more the lighting timing being off, but they called me back again. So I'm like, oh, no. come on. <laughs> right? I'm like, yeah. well, you guys are like sabotaging my damn routine yeah. here. <laughs> and so yeah. I actually fake white boy moonwalked off the stage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Everybody started killing themselves laughing. Oh, I went out. I did my poses on the third try. And, uh, you know, I meddled, which was more than oh, I ever wow. thought. Really? Yeah, and, and I say, you know what, you know what, guys, uh, to anybody thinking about even, because maybe some of the casual That's listeners amazing. might be gym, I'm, you know, gym addicts and everything's like that, 
the the thing that made me metal more i would say than knowing how to pose and stuff because let's be honest i was greener than baby shit (laughs) (laughs) oh god Um, was having that confidence shine through. So even yeah. though I was being false started, you know, don't take wow. don't take yourself so seriously, right? So it's wow. just like whatever. I honestly believe and I'm happy to take it, but I think I left that show with the reputation of like the Chris Farley of like the IDF. Oh gosh. <laughs> Trying out for the Kippendale. Just like, you know, willing to like self-deprecate and like willing to just like make an ass of himself where everybody's so serious. But for me being a fighter, Oh I was like, how are you guys nervous and taking this so serious right now? Nobody's out there trying to knock your ass out. I'm like, you want to know anxious? I'm like, have your younger brother in your corner and then have a thought come through your mind like, geez, I hope I don't get knocked out and shit in my trunks yeah. because oh, yeah. I have had that thought. That is scarier and that happens. than going on stage. That happens. <laughs> I had Dennis Holman tell me, you know, he, he's cornered fighters where that's happened overseas where he tries to prevent you know, uh, when somebody gets knocked out, something like that happening. That's that's very embarrassing. And Alex, I love that you brought that up because a lot of people out there that are, you know, they're green light. It almost reminds me of being in like peewee baseball where like you're nervous, you're trying yeah. something new and then you get out there, your family's watching, people are watching and you feel that anxiety and you make one mistake, two mistakes and then it's like spotlights on you. A lot of people would say, screw this, I want to go home and hide under my sheets. You, on the other hand, went out there and did it and you've got a medal. That says a lot, Alex. Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, and like that's the thing. Like, and interestingly enough, so I have a I have a show. I'm competing this weekend in uh, the universe again. Wow. I moved up a, a class to uh, bodybuilding this time. Uh, so full on speedo, yeehaw! Hell yeah! Uh, <laughs> is that weird? But, uh, is that gonna weird? Do for that. You? Gonna give it a go. Um, and again, that for me, circling way back here, because you know us, we love to sidestep and side. Like we're MC Hammer, we sidestep. So yeah, much. yeah. But like, um, that is really what saved me after my fight career ended. Wow! I needed something to set my sights on athletically but also something competitive whether it's bodybuilding or uh you know even art like i I, i've seen a lot of fighters like bj penn they don't know what to do because their whole life has been fighting you know and and you dedicate your life and people write you off even if you're still signed to ufc look at tony ferguson right now uh, yeah, you know, he, he's dude. lost a couple Holy fights, God. and people are like he's past his prime. It's it's awful. It's 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 yeah. It, it's it's a crazy world to be in. So it's amazing that not only are you doing this, but you're also still learning as you do it, and you're also connected to fighters who are going through that same thing. I think that's absolutely amazing, and I think that what is what sets you apart from a lot of the other managers, Alex, is that you're still doing your own thing and facing the fear that a lot of managers out there will never face again, and. You're you're putting yourself out there that has to be a comfort for fighters that are signing with you right yeah well i think that that is you know but without giving away the 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 trick of the trade and now there'll be like first round management and shit going out and signing former fighters as managers but yeah no it is it's really been advantageous to have that connection to be able to sit down and you know have a fighter feel your words and hear what you're saying and go damn i've had that happen to me he's had that happen to him and he's learned how to you know sidestep it and take care of it so that that's not going to happen again right and you know i i I got a couple things i want to leave off with like just 
you know, with everything being so dark and everything being so gray. By the way, uh, it's December 13th that I'll be competing. Um, I don't know if my boy Eddie's up for it, but if possible, I'll send the results and so forth. Oh, uh, you know, who knows how your boy's going to do, but playing with the bo- the big boys again, stepping up. But I oh, think yeah. uh, I, I've set my sights really high. I'd really like to, to earn my pro card and, and earn myself a gold. Um, I never won a title belt as a mixed martial artist. It was something that eluded me. And so for me, it's it's a little bit of finality, a little bit in, in my athletics career to to earn some gold of some kind, Hell if you yeah. will. That Joe right. Riggs and, and trophy room type shit, right? Exactly. Well, shoot, he's, he damn near needs a trophy house, bro. He always needs a trophy house. Okay. No, I got I got a couple of medals and I got a couple of awards and a few lanyards and like I've kept a lot of stuff. I'm a sentimental dude. Like I've got the wraps from my first fight. And, oh, that's like, awesome. You know, it's it's all about the memories, right? But mm. you know, again, circling back to anybody who ever has self-doubt or questions their ability to achieve a dream i want to go and just tell you guys a quick story about the first big event that gary goodridge Ooh. uh took me to as his manager which Please was so do. amazing Please it do. was uh it was an event in toronto ontario and it was uh the anniversary i can't say exactly which one because it's not coming to me right now but it was the anniversary of muhammad ali fighting george Chavalo, who was the canadian heavyweight champion at that time and uh, a legend up here obviously Chavalo. and so at the event we had leila ali representing her at that time deceased father right muhammad had passed oh but oh, whoa, 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 whoa. is she the heavier set daughter of ali yeah, she was the boxing world champion that had like 400. Oh, okay, titles. okay. No, I, I watched uh, 90 Days In, and one of his daughters was on 90 Days In. Uh, it's obviously the other daughter then. Okay, okay, yeah. I'm not sure how many kids that I'm sure you probably had a handful of them back in the day, right? We're actually looking at the uh, Chevalo fight right now on the video cast. For people who are listening to iTunes right now or Spotify, we're looking at the Chevalo fight. Uh, of Muhammad so, Ali. So, real quick, I love it that you're watching that right now because um, Muhammad Ali, after the fight, and I won't spoil it, but what he said about George was, and keep, the, keep in mind the guys that Ali fought, he said George Chavalo was the toughest man I ever wow. fought. It just, Chavalo was as, you know, stereotypical Canadian as you could ever be. He had the hairy chest and just like, you know what I mean? Like just a big farm boy that went out there and never took a step back. But anyways, back to the story. So uh, they were having a a very special VIP party in Toronto where uh, Layla was the guest of honor and then then George Chavalo, who was still with us, was the guest of honor. And we had this massive screen set up in a VIP section of a lounge with a projection monitor where they had the fight uh, that we were going to watch, rewatch it, you know, with George, which was a very cool experience. And um, Lennox Lewis showed up, former world heavyweight champion. Um, Daryl Sittler, who is an NHL legend from the Toronto Maple Leafs. There was a handful of just incredibly famous athletes that showed up to this man's uh, you know, to commemorate basically Muhammad and George and what they had done. But why I'm telling you guys this is because I uh, was sitting beside Gary, who was sitting beside uh, George, I want to say. And 
I had a young fella come up to me who was maybe 13 or 14 years old. And he asked who I was, you know, because obviously if I'm on the front row in the, yeah. in the luxury seats, they're like, you know, who are you? You got to be somebody. Yeah. You're young. What are you doing here? And I was just, I just kind of chuckled. And like, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm uh, Big Daddy's manager. And the kid looked at me and kind of scrunched his face and was like, you're his manager? Because I'm like this, like, you know, slender, meek little white guy that's like, you know, at the time, like 20, maybe 26 or something like that. And, you know, Gary's sitting there, big 270 pound, just yeah. rip shit up still, good, Gary Goodridge. And then he's like, you're his manager? I'm like, yeah. He's like, the kid goes, how old are you? <laughs> and I go, 26. He's like, wow. And I just pulled a chair up to the front row, and he plunked his little butt down beside us. Oh, wow. And he watched, he watched a couple rounds with us. And wow. the reason why I'm telling you guys this is because nothing's impossible. You know, the disbelief that that kid showed when I said who I was and why I was there, it's the same disbelief I felt doing what I did. You know, I mean, it's I've been doing it now for, for going on six years. Wow. You know, I've been in the fight games for, for 10 years now. And I still catch myself going, you know, I got to pinch myself every once in a while. You know, when when you're sitting there and, you know, some legendary names like a Sean Shirk reaches out to you or a Pete Spratt or if we go back even further generation, yeah. a Remco Pardue who fought Hoist Gracie back in the bare knuckle days. You know, like I've, I've got so many of these friends that are such great guys out there that still, you know, a lot of them still compete, whether it's just in BJJ or judo and different things. Alex, but, I've know, had I, the same experience, and you've given me those experiences as well uh, throughout my career. I've interviewed people that I've looked up to, legends. So, I, like Michelle Waterson, I used to have her photo pinned up in my bedroom in like eighth or ninth grade. And down the road, I end up interviewing <laughs> like uh, Mayhem Miller. I have his telephone number in my oh, phone. Oh, so cool. Like, like, like literally my idols. And I go and I, I, you know, over the years, I've interviewed these people. And even James McSweeney, who I do a show with, like looks up to these people, and I, I it, 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 it blows my mind. But the craziest part about it is the people around me don't understand how crazy that really is to somebody like me, and how much it really means, and how far it makes me feel like I've gotten. And when you talk to well, people it, with a closed mind like that, that don't know who A, B, and C is, uh, they, they try to belittle it. And you try to be like, oh, well, maybe I don't deserve what I have, what I've worked for. The thousands and thousands of hours of work I've put into this, maybe it's really not as special of, as I believe it is. But Alex, right. this podcast is based off the reason why I mean you did this podcast is to prove to our listeners that you can do it. There is no difference between you, me, Sean Shirk, Muhammad Ali. We all lay our head on a pillow at night. We all wake up tomorrow morning and it's about how we focus ourselves, how we get our minds in the right state of mind, how we get our bodies to the best possible uh, outcome throughout the day to make sure that we're proud of ourselves to make a step forward and everything that Absolutely. you've said during this interview every single name that you've brought up including yourself including that story that you just shared of your first time being a greenhorn going up on stage and having not one 
but two times where they called you back and all the veterans sitting there and you must feel like such an outcast. Well, listen, we all feel like outcasts all the time. We all talk to people that have never seen somebody make it. And you know what? For that position that you want, Alex, for that position that I want, you know, look like you looking at the the Mount Kikawas, uh, Ali Abdelaziz's, uh, me looking up to Ariel Hawani's, Luke Thomas's. Yes. Somebody is next in line. Why not you? Why not That's me? It. That's it. I couldn't agree more, man. Like you get, listening to you just gave me chills. I, I got to be honest. I feel like I got to go. So I've got my show this weekend. Now I'm so motivated. I feel like I got to go do some push-ups or something after this interview. <laughs> and that's why we call this pure evil MMA because this is some real talk, man. This isn't just about the excitement of the sport. This is about, and I just wrote an article, Alex, on pureevilmma.com. Uh, about why we love mixed martial arts. It's not just because we like the bloodshed. It's because we look to these fighters and we see ourselves in those fighters. Uh, we know that they have troubles going on at home. Uh, you know, Louis Samoka having a child in the hospital about to die, going in there, cutting weight. You know, there's so many sacrifices we must make to better ourselves, to better our futures. And we all face that self-doubt. And you proved it, you know, in that story that you shared of, you know, walking out not once but twice, you proved that it's a state of mind. It's about absolutely being centered. And uh, that's what Pure Evil MMA is about. And that's why I have you on. That's why you send these fighters like Sean Shirk, who's trying to motivate his son. That's why you send people to me like Melvin Gillard, who's faced so many times in his life where people are like, you're done, you're finished for, you're not thinking right. Uh, you know, Rumble Johnson, Yoel Romero, all these fighters that we've talked about that have that second step. It's never over until we say it's over. And until we say That's it's over, exactly we can't it. listen to anybody else. We must make the best of ourselves. Alex, I want to thank you so much for joining me, man. We need to make a part two of this. And, uh, you know, you have Absolutely. this competition coming up. Let's do that part two after the competition. That sounds awesome to me. If I can give a real quick shout out just to uh, a couple sponsors there. And I actually, it was something I wanted to say towards your sponsors actually when you were given the rundown is i just i think that's absolutely a phenomenal how they give back to the veterans um you're so you know we we talk about uh fighters not getting forgotten and frankly there's someone who is the exact same soldiers air force national guard navy they're all fighters coast guard even um they're they're all fighters in in real like next level yeah. sense of the word reality and yeah, exactly and i feel like when their military career is over i think they feel like they're forgotten Ooh. and just like i want you know any anybody in the marines anybody who's listening to this that's served um you know we appreciate you um we think about you guys and you know know that you're not the only ones that when it's done feel forgotten and and honestly know that you're not forgotten just just like us as fighters and as bodybuilders and 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 as quite frankly as as podcast hosts as dreamers you know it's gonna happen and and we just we just gotta kind of remember 
that we're not alone and that we're not forgotten and that even if someone says you know belittles your dream at the end of the day eddie it's because they see something in you that they wish that they could have achieved but never had the audacity they never had the cojones or balls to actually do it and so they lash out at us because we while maybe having not achieving it fully yet are on the fucking highway, man. We're and they on the want us to settle to for that safety it. net, Alex. They want us That's to fall it. on that safety net just like they had to do. Exactly, bro. We had the we had the stones to look at that door and not know what's behind it, but turn the fucking handle anyways. And and honestly, and I don't like to anybody who is afraid of that proverbial door to turn the handle. I promise you that. There's no harm that can come from the other side. Yes. You can you can step away if you walk into that room that's on the other side of the door and you don't like it. If it's less comfortable than the room you just left, guess what? Be like me, moonwalk your ass back into the room <laughs> that you just left and shut the fucking door and look around and see if there's another one. You know what I mean? Alex, we only have one ticket in this life. We only have one ticket in this life. We have to, even though there's some of us out there that feel like misfits, that feel like we'll never fit in. You know, we have one ticket to make this life special, to make an impact, to make, you know, a chisel on the rock of life, to make our imprint leave our imprint. And I think this interview covered all of that between fighting, between real life, uh, the full circle of it all. And that's why this is Pure Evil MMA, Alex. I want to thank you so much. Thank you for having me on, brother. I appreciate that so much. Thanks uh, to Boss Supplements, of course, uh, one of my sponsors for a very long time. And uh, thanks to the IDFA, obviously, for uh, letting an old fogey like me compete. Hell yeah. <laughs> Alex, make sure to drop all those links. I'll share them in the bottom information section of this podcast. Available on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, uh, Player FM, Megaphone. I want to give a shout out to our sponsors as well in association with the UFC, Manscaped. Um, I also want to give a shout out to Top Affiliate, who you guys can place bets on. I'll have all that down below in the action for information and last but not least hero soap company for the veterans guys uh i gotta go take a shower with my girlfriend right now i gotta smell good i gotta make sure my dad doesn't have the allergies (laughs) to it either alex thank you so much i'll talk to you soon i wish you best of luck at the competition and we'll talk to you soon thank you so much guys everybody take care of each other and uh and be good to each other god bless god bless you there we guys there you guys go that was a really amazing interview that we just did with Alex I've been uh, really close friends with him for a very long time we've had very very close conversations about some real life stuff which I feel like we covered uh, everything that we've really ever talked about uh, the motivation that Alex has given me uh, through hard times I, I've messaged him at six seven eight o'clock in the morning I've messaged him at uh, midnight, one, two, three o'clock in the morning sometimes looking for advice where I feel lost and I know that there's somebody out there that understands. Alex listens to every single episode of this show. Uh, for the Guys, I've been almost doing this for six years now. Six years. 2020 has been a very hard year for me. Uh, you know, when I left Pro Wrestling Authority, uh, there was a guy named Max who actually helped me come up with the name Pure Evil Mame. I didn't come up with it myself. Uh, It was my old boss, Max, who gave me my start as an MMA journalist 
before I even went to broadcasting school and before I left the website to sign with MyMMAnews.com, who I'm no longer with anymore because I opened up PureVillaMMA.com. And MyMMAnews.com top five website right now. So go check out MyMMAnews.com. Uh, but when I worked for Pro Wrestling, Pro Wrestling Authority and moved over to MyMMAnews.com, my boss, Max, said to me, the reason I gave you the name Pure Evil MMA is because you sit here week after week and you give your pure reaction. You give your pure heart, soul, stomach, energy to your listeners of what you've experienced, what you've witnessed, and create the excitement around it. You don't beat around the bushes. You're not afraid of being denied credentials because of what you have to say because there's 99% of the listeners out there, 99% of the MMA fans, wrestling fans, Muay Thai fans, uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu fans, Judo fans, that will agree with you because you're giving your 100% pure take on it. This isn't pure evil because I have nothing nice to say. This is pure Eddie Valeco. That's why it's called pure evil on the man. That's why I have it tattooed on my hands. E for Eddie. V-I-L for my last name. Evil. Pure Eddie Valeco MMA. And that interview right there sums it all up. And I hope that you guys can take something away from this podcast. It's a very hard year. It's, you know, I've seen so many messages from a lot of the listeners out there wondering where I've been, if I'm okay. Between that and the emails that I've got from sponsors that are affiliated with the UFC, Lake Manscaped, reminds me that all the thousands and thousands of hours I've put in, the thousands of interviews I've had in the last five, six years. I've interviewed people like Valentina Shevchenko, Mayhem Miller, Sean Shirk. Melvin Gillard, two people that, uh, you know, Alex obviously manages. Legends, man. Legends. I wouldn't trade that for the world. And I can't forget how important this is to me. This podcast, you guys out there that are listening to this on your way to work right now. Maybe you're on the beach right now, which I'm fucking jealous if you are. Listen to this on the train. Wherever you are listening to this, watching it at home, in your living room, chilling, means the world, guys. It really means the world. And every episode is dedicated to the people out there that are struggling, that go through work week after week, that have to wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning, go to work, get out at 3, and have something to look forward to. Because that's what life's about. Your boss is going to yell at you. You're going to step in dog shit. You know, we can have the worst day ever. But the end of it, at the end of the week, we know there's a fight coming up that we can be excited for. And we can connect with the community on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or Reddit, wherever you guys are, on these podcasts and see what I'm thinking, Joe's thinking, Brandon's thinking, uh, Adam Hunter's thinking. Shout out to MMA Roasted. I mean, we keep each other going. And there's a point where I almost even 
even this week guys even this week where i get those moments where i feel like giving up i feel like ending my life i feel threatened i feel i can't do this but what do i tell you guys all the time it's something i've never been told myself but i tell you guys all the time and i gotta remind myself practice what you preach right there is always somebody next in line for what you want to do. Whether you're a hairdresser and you want to be Paul Mitchell, silky smooth. You know, like, remember the Zoan. Whether you want to be the next Luke Thomas, Erohoane, whether you want to be the next Malky Cow, uh, Ali Abdelaziz, the next Conor McGregor. Never, ever let somebody tell you you can't do it. And the people who tell you they can't, that you can't do it are the people who have never seen anybody they know do it. And they look at people on the TV or even YouTube, even YouTube, and say, oh, that's cool, but I, I'll never be able to do that. You can't. Just do it. Brought, not brought to you by Nike, I wish, but just do it, guys. Because there will be people along the way when you want to turn your back. I've said this story before. I got two stories to say before I end this podcast. Matter of fact, I brought the book I always bring up into studio. Matter of fact, not only do I have one copy. But it's one of my favorite books ever. This is the original and this is the second one because it became the bestseller for the New York Times. I bought two copies of it. Because this is one of the most ins oh man, I'm about to tear up. This is one of the most inspirational books I've ever read in my life. And within the first couple chapters, you see Derek Jeter at a young age go into his parents' bedroom, like eight, nine years old, with a New York Yankees hat and his mitt on. And he looks at his parents like midnight at three o'clock in the morning and goes, I'm gonna play shortstop for the New York Yankees one day. And you know what his parents said to him? You will, if you believe it. You know what happened to me one time? And for those of you diehards out there for Period 4 May, you know what I'm about to say here. Uh, when I was young, I was in the car, and I'll never forget this. My stepfather told me, uh, Ed, what do you want to do when you get older? My stepfather was a firefighter. My mother still is uh, a nurse at Yale. And it was me, my stepfather, my mother, and my stepbrother. I'll, I'll, I'll even, I even remember the street we were on in Brantford, uh, passing Cedar Knolls off exit 54 in Connecticut off 95 on that back road right there. And my stepfather said, Ed, what do you want to do when you get older? What do you want to be? And I said, I want to be in the NFL. And at the time, I was on the all-star team for baseball. I was the captain of the football team. And he said, no, seriously. What do you want to do? Because you won't ever get in the NFL. You won't ever get in the MLB. You have to be realistic. And you know what's really messed up? I will never tell my children that. I understand his point and what he was trying to get across to me. But guess what? Somebody was next in line. There's always somebody next in line for what you want to do. And if you're good at it and you believe in yourself, and the people who are in that circle also agree that you can do something, that you're an asset 
which I've had the high school football coaches come up to me when I was a freshman and say, you're going to be a great asset to Daniel Hand football. When you have people like that supporting you and you believe in yourself, somebody's next in line, why not you? And that's something you need to answer for yourself. Why not you? Why can't you do it? What makes you different? Nothing makes you different. It's all up here. Pain is an illusion. Pain is an illusion. We got one ticket to ride. We got one ticket to ride to make our mark. And that's it, guys. That's it. And not only do we get one ticket, but there's only a very small window that closes really quick between 18 and 35. Why not you? Ask yourself that. Why not you? Never give up. Don't listen to the doubters. Do what you want to do. With that being said, guys, I'm Yvaletti from Pure Evil May. Remember, without evil, there's no purity. White knuckles till the end. Behave yourselves.